Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mindsets Podcast. Today I'm joined by a lovely guest who I haven't seen in a little while. Do you want to give a bit of an introduction to yourself? Perfect. Thanks for having me. I am Sam. I actually know Angus through Loughborough University. Um, I originally grew up in Zimbabwe and now I'm living in London working as a nutritionist and a running coach. Amazing. So uh, Zimbabwe is pretty rogue. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that when I first met you based on your accent because I would have jumped straight to South Africa. Do you get that a lot? Every time. I don't think I've ever been asked if I'm from Zimbabwe. But so, you, no one really knows where Zimbabwe is, what it's about. So. I know it's somewhere in Africa. Uh, my geography is not great. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> that it is. But like, how, how long did you, did you grow up from you started, you were born is a better way of saying it. You were born in Zimbabwe and then and you grew up there for how long? Yeah, so both my parents were also born in Zimbabwe. Um, I was born there and then I lived there until I was 18. So did all my school years there and then came across here for uni. That is really cool. So I obviously am very aware of what school life is like in the UK. Talk to me a little bit about school, younger years in Zimbabwe. What's it like over there? Honestly, I don't think you can beat it. I might be biased. But very sports focused. Obviously, you have beautiful weather. So you spend a lot of time outside. Um, school is very different. You start school at 7.30 and you normally have sport before if you're in a lot of the teams. So I used to start sport at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, sport from 6 to 7, school from 7.30 till 1.30 and then 2 till 6 was also sport. So you've got to full day of school and sports spending most of your day outside i'd say that's quite a lot of sport and it's it, i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i assume it's quite hot over there yeah it is and i don't think you realize how hot it is and how tough it is playing sport there until you come here and you're like if this was the temperature yeah no one would be outside um but you kind of get through it the sport is structured around seasons so you're kind of doing your water-based sports in the summer and then your land-based sports during the winter, which is still quite warm. So so how old were you when you started doing this sort of sporting regime around school? So it wasn't as intense at junior school. Um, I think, do you call it junior school, yeah? We call it primary school. Primary Why? School. No, I didn't know what that means, but First junior school makes sense to me, yeah? Yeah, um, it wasn't as intense. You still had sport after school. Um, you have compulsory sports, so it's not actually an option you have to play a sport at school so you're introduced at quite a young age but I think it's good um and then high school is obviously a little bit more intense you still have your compulsory sports but it's a lot more of your afternoon is taken up by it sure and what are the compulsory sports so you can choose I think for girls you had to do hockey or soccer football um, in the winter and then you had to do swimming in the summer um, and boys you had a choice between soccer rugby and hockey in the winter and then swimming in the summer okay it's pretty similar to the UK I mean obviously the UK in summer we tended to do well at least at my school we did a bit of cricket sometimes we did rounders love a game of rounders by the way <laughs> I love Unbelievable. rounders too <laughs> um, but yeah we, we tended to do similar similar sort of sports interestingly though because it is hot and is the ground not really hard for some of those sports? Um, no, everything gets watered. 
Oh, I guess that's quite an obvious thing to really consider. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. There is is one interesting note. So I have a a friend that I used to play rugby with. Don't know if he's ever listened to this. If if Dan Loftus, if you are listening to this, hi. Um, He grew up and played some sport in, in South Africa. And it's actually very normal for them to play rugby barefoot until they were like 16 um just based on the fact that yes the ground was water and that sort of thing but there was risks of injuries and stuff like that did you have anything nuancy like that interesting no i wish i had more to give you (laughs) there um the closest we got to that was taking our tires off at school and it was too hot okay okay Um, cool but then you had those compulsory sports was that were any of those sports you know your main interest sports or did you develop your own so my main sport at school was water polo, actually. Um, that was my favorite sport. I loved it. I loved the water-based sports. Um, that in the summer and then in the winter, mainly hockey. Didn't love hockey, um, but I was good at it. So I played a lot of it. And then I also did a lot of triathlon. So all three of those sports I actually did at a national level. Oh, wow. Um, in Zimbabwe before I came across here. And so how long were you doing those at a national level? So triathlon, I ended up doing two years competing for Zimbabwe. Uh, hockey, I did the whole of my high school career. So six years um, and water polo the same, six years. And then as you came to the UK, you decided to no longer do some of those? So I actually did come across, I dropped hockey as soon as I could because I really didn't love it. Oh, interesting. Um, and then water polo, I actually did play for a while here. So I came across and studied at Exeter for my undergrad and was playing water polo on the Exeter team there. But I just don't get along with indoor pools. It's just, it's such a different sport being inside in this chlorine box when I'm used to being outdoors in the sun and playing water polo so I just didn't love it I found the training hours quite antisocial we were training at like 10 p.m um for anyone who knows me I think I've grown up as being a very early morning person so by the time it gets to 5 p.m I'm like I'm done for the day um so yeah it just didn't really suit me so I decided to stop playing water polo and I started running more seriously okay and in that transition, you you've spoken about the fact that you know you're you're a morning person. Yeah, there's definitely an element to universities. You're kind of left to your own devices quite a lot of the time. So, I mean, if you don't turn up to a lecture, if they take attendance, they'll care. If they don't, they they don't care. Um, but you are way more in control of your daily life, especially when you're away from home and that sort of thing. So, coming from um, a background where you do your sport before and after school, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's know regimented like the army or anything like that but there is a regimen to follow yeah um how did you find you know losing that i think i found it very tough um and i think i kind of took it into my own hands and i was still very regimented and i was still getting up really early getting things done um i still do and I was very strict with my time and if I had something that I wanted to do, I would get it done. But I think I got to a stage where actually it became more controlling than I would have wanted it to be. Okay, interesting. So as you got more into running then, as you left indoor pools behind, um, were you always, did you always feel like you're a natural runner? Was that one of your your stronger things in triathlon? Um, No, actually running was my weakest point uh, when I was doing triathlon, but my dad's always been a runner. 
Um, I used to tell him he was crazy. I don't know if you've heard about the Comrades Marathon. No, go on. It's a 90k race in South Africa, uh, which is this like heat hills, probably the toughest race, I'd say, um, on the road. And he's done that 11 times. Damn. And he's run more marathons than I can count. Um, so he's always been a runner and I always went to go and support his races. And I used to tell him that only boring, boring people run or bored people run because they had nothing else to do. Um, so I think I've always had the genes to run, but I just never really got into it at school. I was forced to do cross country and that kind of thing, but it wasn't really my thing. Um, and then when I came across, it was kind of like I could do it whenever I wanted. Um, there were people who I could go and run with. And yeah, it just kind of brought some more structure to... I was I could still train, but I could train around when I wanted to. Okay. And running in England, I mean, we do we do have hills. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. But we, we kind of have just briefly spoken before we recorded about going back to Zimbabwe, where your family was living. Yeah. Very different terrain. How do you find, or how did you find coming from that sort of training environment to here? And then every once in a while you go, you still go back. So mm-hmm. what's the flip like? Oh, now I've really felt it. So I was never really a serious runner before I came here. So I didn't really notice. Um, a lot of people actually joke with me and say that I have an advantage because I grew up at altitude, basically. This is this is true. Um, our houses, I don't know what it is in feet, but we are 1,500 meters above sea level. Oh, that's a long way. Okay. <laughs> and I live on top of a mountain. So we joke about it, but cars literally stall going up my driveway. Um, <laughs> so when I get back here, running at sea level and on flat ground, it's like, wow, I can actually breathe again. It's so much easier. But going back home and getting the actual training effect is amazing. And I get to go and run with my dad when I'm home as well. So there's kind of pros and cons of both. <laughs> okay. And you came to UK, like you said, it wasn't for running uh, purposes. Yeah. Came to study. Um, so what was your, your undergrad? I did biological sciences. It was kind of a, I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm good at biology. So I'm going to apply and I got in. So it was something that interested me, but I didn't really know where I was going to take it. Sure. And then I guess you kind of figured it out because you ended up going to Loughborough um, to extend your studies. Yeah. Uh, so what was your master's that you did at Loughborough? So I did sport and exercise and nutrition um, at Loughborough, but originally... I had in my mind that I was going to do forensic science. So I was kind of, I did a module in my undergrad in forensic science and was like, this is so interesting. Actually applied for a master's in forensic science. um, And then was actually on the phone to my dad one day. And he was like, your running's picking up. Like you're doing really well. Don't you want to do something more sports related? Um, and I'd kind of struggled with my eating at that stage. And I was like, I really want to learn how to fuel properly. So I was like, if I'm going to change, if I'm going to do something sports related, I'm going to do it at Loughborough. If I apply to Loughborough and get in, I'll do it. And yeah, that's kind of what led me to Loughborough. So when you, you obviously just dropped in the conversation there and it would be terrible of me not to rewind a little <laughs> bit. Um, you said you were struggling with your eating a little bit. Yeah. What, what, in, in which way? So I think... Going back to the whole control thing and being like, I've come to the UK now and everything is so different to growing up in Zimbabwe, growing up in a third world country, 
moving across when I was 18 um, to a new continent, just a completely different way of life. Um, the one thing I could control was my exercise and my eating. And I think both became really obsessive. I started running a lot faster, um, a lot longer distances. I started losing weight as a result and I was getting a lot of compliments. And that kind of fueled me to run more and eat less. And it kind of spiraled. And over the first three years of me being at university, was over my first two years, actually, I ended up losing 25 kgs. Jesus. So. For me, that's like, I'm imagining myself, because I weigh like around 100 kilos, just under. I'm trying to imagine what I look like at 75 kilos. Because when I first started going to the gym, when I was in like sixth form, like GCSE year, I think I still weighed 80 odd kilos. So that's only 20 kilos. And I remember what I used to look like then yeah. versus now. That's a lot. Yeah. Okay. It was huge. It was very unhealthy and very unsustainable. And it was something that I struggled with and I didn't really realize the extent of it. Were you still going quicker in your yeah. running as well? Yeah. Okay. So I guess that kind of would, there wasn't this shocking thing because you were still getting better in some way. Exactly. Okay. And people were complimenting me. I was getting faster. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And the when I really realized how bad it had got, I hadn't seen my parents for a year and they came across, they came actually across to surprise me. I'd entered my first half marathon. Um, I didn't know they were coming. And my dad was like, it was my first half marathon. It was huge for him because he's obviously a huge runner. He was like, I'm going to be there to support you. So they flew to London to surprise me. And I think when they saw me, they were just like, oh my goodness, what has happened? That's um, difficult. And did they did they outright say it straight away, or did they kind of speak to you after you'd done your half marathon? Yeah, but after, um, I mean, I had a great race, um, and even then, though, I just didn't really take on board how serious it was because, I mean, you're performing, and you see yourself every day, so you don't see the huge, drastic change that everyone else is seeing after they haven't seen you for months. So, what was the switch for you? Did your performance start to tail off? improving in terms of improvement so no actually my performance kind of stabilized it was really good I was performing well um the turning point for me was probably seeing after being in the state for over a year probably two three years just seeing the mental impact it had on my parents and how hard it was for them to see me go through this okay and what, you, you obviously didn't see those guys that often no so it must have been each time was a bit more shock yeah and so then that fed into you realizing kind of the change that you had made because you could visibly see someone else's reaction to it yeah um so is that what sparked you mentioned that kind of drove you into studying nutrition yeah you kind of had a sort of self-realizing moment of i need to learn what i'm doing wrong yeah is that right yeah okay exactly and i think i did but the sad part is that I didn't face the consequences then. I'm now paying for them down the line. Now that I feel like I've got a grip on my nutrition, I'm back to being healthy. I'm paying the consequences for my actions five, six years ago. What sort of consequences? So my past two years have literally been injury after injury. Um, as anyone who has known me previously knows that I go run every day, like... 
I'm I was a really good runner. I was a distance runner. I was competing at marathon level. Um, I was even ranked second in the UK for marathon time under 21s. Um, and the past few years, I haven't been running consistently. I am at a stage now where I can't even run every day yet. Okay, And that's just sort of damage that was done. And then now, you, yeah, like yeah. now you're starting to feel it. So you've gone to Loughborough then, if we, if we go back to then, yeah. you've started to learn new things about nutrition and study it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I obviously... Um, for context for everyone listening we've said we met each other at Loughborough so um, I finished my final year and I wasn't quite ready to be an adult yet uh, so I decided to move into a house for a few months over the summer uh, which Sam was living in um, so we got to know each other then uh, and then pretty much my first sort of I guess meeting of you I think was when you came back from a run so like <laughs> I, I seem yeah. to remember through that summer you were running twice a day and the distances were at the time far further than i had ever run yeah um and you were you were on it like on it on it so talk to me a little bit about how the studying went at loughborough and your training and that kind of thing honestly loughborough was incredible i think it was obviously a shame because it was still kind of locked down when we were there so we didn't really get the full experience but i was training with a really great great group of girls we had bill foster as our coach so i was running with the loughborough athletics team which was just like a dream of mine it was amazing um training was going really well bill was actually a fantastic coach he got me through london marathon he got me i pb'd there without any injuries in my training block which was amazing because i was extremely underweight while i was at loughborough um so he managed my load really well um I did love it though. I still was feeling all right. I still wasn't really paying much, like I wasn't paying the consequences for my actions before. Um, studying was also great. Like I learned so much at Loughborough and before that I'd been passed around from nutritionist to nutritionist and none of them were sports people. And I found that really difficult trying to listen to someone who just didn't know how much I loved running and how invested I was in the sport. Like my goal was to get as good as I could at running and they were, their solutions were just cut back on your running. And that wasn't an option for me. So I think learning myself just how to feel correctly and what my body actually needed and why I needed as much as I did really did help and I did start to put that into practice so I think Loughborough was great I think you've touched on something there that's quite interesting um it's very important and I think the most relatable thing that people might have because not not everybody um has like a nutritionist but I, at some point everyone who's active has probably seen a physio for yeah. an injury right and I have always found I have gone to a physio often NHS provided They've turned up, they've given me a bunch of exercises. They've told me what I should and shouldn't do. And there's two problems with that. One, well, I mean, they stem from the same problem. One, they don't train the same way as me. And that's that's the problem. Yeah. Um, and the two issues that stem from that is, one, there is this level of understanding that they don't have and they can't relate to you. Yeah. And that's very difficult. The other thing is, even if they do know everything everything they're talking about they know what they're talking about they're, they're obviously qualified to say what they're saying this might just be me 
but I automatically unqualify them because I know they don't trade. So I remember there was a, a lovely woman, I, I can't remember her name, but she was at the local GP. She was telling me what to do for a knee injury that I had. I could tell, and having spoken to her, she'd never played a contact sport. So she didn't understand what it was like to lose the contact sport or how the injury had really happened. Even though she's studied, she's been doing this job for years, she's dealt with many people that probably had the same injury that she's brought back to injury. I immediately was like, in my head, I don't think you're right. And I think that's really important. It's yeah. the same in coaching. It's the same in everything. It's it's so important to find the right person for you. And just because someone is fantastic um, doesn't mean they're necessarily right for you. Yeah. And also, if you are a physio listening to this and you feel attacked, don't take it that way. There are going to be people that get on really, really well with you. And if they don't, it is often a sign of them, yeah. not you. Yeah. Um, so you've, you ended up finding someone that could understand what you were talking about a little bit? Not really. I think that's kind of what drove me to Loughborough and was like, I want to learn about this myself. And I want to learn about it from an exercise point of view, which is why I wanted to exercise sport and exercise nutrition. Um, so that was great. I got the opportunity to do a dissertation where I focused on low energy availability studies in female athletes, which was exactly what I was going through. Um, so that was really great. I did really well at Loughborough despite everything that I'd been through. And I'm really proud of that. So, yeah. So treat me, well, I was going to say treat me like an idiot. I'm a fucking <laughs> idiot, right? So um, your dissertation... There wasn't a lot of big words, but there were some kind of fancy words as there should be in a dissertation title there. Yeah. What do you mean when you say low energy? What was it? Low energy availability. Availability. What does that mean? Basically not eating enough for the amount of exercise that you're doing. So the calories in are less than the calories that you're expending doing during exercise. Interestingly, if anyone has heard of James Smith PT or has seen any other PT talking about a calorie deficit, that is what you want. That's a great thing. You see that all over social media. You want to have a calorie deficit. That's not true all the time. No, it's context and it depends what your goals are. And if you want to be a performing athlete, you can't be in a calorie deficit for extended periods of time. I think there's a time and a place for athletes who need to make weight or for people who are overweight and trying to reach a goal. But as an athlete, you need to be fueling your sessions and you need to be fueling your body. There's a common saying that goes around being like, you wouldn't run a car on empty. So why would you try and push your body through a session on empty? And it's so true because your body will just start breaking down your proteins, your muscles, and it can lead to so many negative impacts that it's just not worth it. So what are some of the, the more interesting things you learned from your dissertation study? Well, just how to fuel correctly, number one. Um, what's been really interesting is the effect of carbohydrates because there's so much focus on protein and everyone who talks about nutrition for sport, you're going to have th protein thrown in there at least once. Um, but there have been a lot of new studies that have come out that have shown that if your carbohydrate availability is not sufficient, that's when you're going to start getting these negative effects. So... Even athletes who are taking in the right amount of calories but aren't getting enough calories from carbohydrates, you're going to start getting these uh, REDS, which is relative energy deficiency in sports. You're going to start getting these effects. So with carbohydrates then, 
again, I don't know if this is what I've got through the media and stuff like that. Yeah. Are there good carbohydrates and bad carbohydrates that people need to consider? Or is a carbohydrate, when it comes down to it, just a carbohydrate? Again, it's context. So for a lot of athletes, for a lot of runners, you're going to need that quick release energy sometimes. So if you're like during runs or just before, you're going to need that sugar rush, which normally people would label as a bad carbohydrate. So you need both. Okay, and in your personal sort of development through your training and your nutritional understanding, you obviously admitted that you weren't doing things right beforehand yeah. to a relatively extreme level. <laughs> um, but when I when I was living with you, you know, you seemed to eat very healthily and what you were making. Is that different to your opinion now? Or was that still pretty good because you were learning as you were going? I mean, what changes have you made? So I eat a lot more now and I eat a lot more carbohydrates. So even while I, we were living together, and I managed to hide it quite well because I think I knew as well that I was doing it and that it wasn't right. I did get progressively better throughout Loughborough the more I learned, but I was terrified of carbohydrates. I would not touch them. And there were studies which we would do where I would I loved being the participant in any study, any exercise test. I'd be like, put my hand up, I'll be there. And they would do your glucose tests and all of our lecturers would be like, are you feeling okay? Like, do you need to sit down? Are you going to faint? And I was like, no, I'm absolutely fine. And they'd be like, your gl blood glucose levels are so low. We don't even know how you're functioning. And that was just because I'd had no carbohydrates for however long. So I think I, I masked it quite well. And you can make eating look healthy if you're just having loads of salads and protein the whole time. But I just really wasn't getting enough. And that did get better the more I learned. So what sort of carbohydrates have you tried to bring into your personal diet? Obviously, there's personal preference on what you like, yeah. <laughs> but um, what sort of what was your first thing that you decided this could be a bit more staple in my diet? Yeah, so things like bread, pasta, rice, all of these things, which now I'm like, actually, I've missed out on so much for so many years of my life because I really enjoy them and I enjoy cooking, I enjoy eating. So all the main carbohydrates, like I literally wouldn't have touched those in... A million years things like croissants love a croissant <laughs> love a croissant i'm more of a do you know what actually i, w I w i'm gonna do a little tear thing i think yeah. for me it was always pan au chocolat above a croissant but i think now almond croissants have changed the yeah. game for yeah. me gail's almond croissant i still haven't been to gail's oh my goodness we're gonna I know. Have to go. okay that's a deal a yeah. run a run and a gales finish is yeah. a very common London thing. It so is. I feel like it's very silly of me not to done to have done that. Southwest will go for a run and go to Gales. Sounds great. Um <laughs> so other than croissants and, yeah. and you mentioned some of the more staple ones that, you know, um people can bring into their, their normal sort of meals yeah. when they're cooking at home. Um there is this this major focus on protein, mm -hmm. right? Protein uh, is a fundamental part of my diet, I pay a lot of attention to it and I get it through questionably synthetic methods. <laughs> Whoa, okay, not injecting it or anything like that, but like um, I will go to little Aldi, wherever that does these like protein puddings and stuff like that and they're loaded with it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just literally before we recorded one, I, I had one of those, good scrad. Um, but I definitely don't pay attention to anything else in my diet the same as I do with that. Um, are there dangers of having too much protein? No, not really. Um, your body just won't use all of it if you give it too much. And you can get quite a lot of benefits from having a high protein diet. It's just about making sure that you're also getting those carbohydrates in. 
and those healthy fats. So it's more just about balance. If if I'm a person, um, this is this is my own question, really. I'm interested in this. I've always found that if I'm hungry, I can keep snacking on certain foods. But if I have something that's high protein, then it tends to make me feel full. Yeah. Is that just me and the way that I'm thinking about protein or is that actually a, a thing? No, it is actually a thing. Protein takes longer to digest. So you will feel satiated for longer. Okay. And, and when it comes to making plans for eating and food i don't know if this is something that you've experienced as well obviously if you're eating things that look healthy so there's a lot of color in them mm -hmm. you know bringing vegetables and that sort of thing generally in terms of calories and density you can have a lot more veg than you can for meat for example yeah. or some carbohydrates um do you find that bulking out food with a lot of vegetables is a great thing to do if you're trying to, to lose weight or is it actually not so good because you're not getting those other nutrients. Um, bulking out, if you're trying to lose weight, absolutely fine because you're getting those nutrients still um, with fewer calories. But you've also got to be careful of things like fiber content and bloating and it might make you feel a bit horrible initially. Um, but like you said, you've just got to make sure that you still are getting, even if it's in smaller amounts, those carbohydrates and those proteins in because everything works together. Um for your body to absorb and digest okay and i think for anyone that's uh looked at my fitness pal yeah it's got that target sort of pie chart or something that's a split of what you should be having yeah it tries to work out for you i've always looked at that and gone well i want low fat and i want low carb but i'll increase the protein to make the pie chart fit better mm -hmm. it's probably really stupid like i don't know i've not studied that i'm not talking i don't know what i'm talking about but that's what made sense to me when i was trying to cut down on, on some weight or something should if you're doing that should you be trying to get in a calorie deficit while still balancing all of those three uh it, it again depends it depends on what kind of exercise you're doing as well if you're doing really high intensity exercise then you do need more carbohydrates because that is the fuel that your body is going to use. If you don't have enough carbohydrate during high intensity exercise, your body is going to start burning protein and fats. Well, it'll burn protein before fats. So it'll start breaking down your muscle unless you've trained it to go into a keto, um, keto state, which takes a while and I wouldn't say is the most efficient way to okay. train. I wonder as well if there's... Um... A lot of understanding sometimes people plateau in the gym right yeah um and sometimes people will also be going really consistently to the gym but not see much growth or change mm -hmm. do you reckon that's probably a sign of of nutrition yeah big time and is it under fueling or just fueling incorrectly could be a bit of both again it's so individual specific it's hard to say but could be either could be a combination of the two okay final sort of thing on nutrition because nutrition obviously massively affects you physically like i've just said that question there could be a fundamental reason why someone's not seeing any change or growth whether that's strength or size whatever have you noticed in your personal experience that since you've changed your nutrition it's also positively impacted you mentally yeah and made changes yeah so it's actually scary how much it does change you mentally as a person i felt like being underfueled, being you're just constantly in a state of being hangry. It's the only way I can describe it. Interesting. But it completely changed my personality. I com withdrew from everything social. I didn't have any energy to go out and speak to people. I was constantly grumpy, super irritable, 
Um, and it is, it's just, you're constantly hangry. So mentally, I mean, there's a huge link. I actually did my undergrad dissertation on the link between the gut microbiome and mental health. So it did all kind of link in. Um, but there is definitely a link between being well-nourished and well-fed and mentally being in a good space. What, <clears throat> again, coming from, pretend I don't know the answer to this. What is gut microbiome? What does that actually mean? It is the bacteria that lives in your gut. So everyone has bacteria living in their gut and it's just the balance of good and bad bacteria that you have in your gut, basically. And what did you find was the link then with mental health when you when you studied it so we looked at it in rats and basically if the gut microbiome was damaged or just slightly altered to an unfavorable um combination basically um we tested depression in rats which wasn't the most salubrious <laughs> testing that we could have done um but the rats were definitely more depressed um with the change in their gut microbiome uh how do you know if a rat is more depressed <laughs> so we, we did these tests where we would do swim time to exhaustion okay which is just awful you put them in a pool and see how long they swim for and if they're more depressed they will give up sooner okay um and a hang test where you see how long you'll hang on to a bar for before letting go doing like proper physical fitness <laughs> tests with these rats okay cool um interesting so there's quite there is a noticeable link there that's good to, it's good to know because yeah. i mean it's, it seems like logic but it's nice to know that the science actually does support yeah. that there's a lot of science supporting that and how do you carry that into so now am i right in thinking self-employed yes and so you're you're acting as a nutritionist and as a, a, a running coach yeah. what are the the key things for you when you're when you're talking nutrition with someone and someone comes to you for some help um what are the key things that you start off with with that person Firstly, making sure that they're never in a huge calorie deficit because I just think there's there's so much information out there, people kind of get lost in it and there's not much specific running nutrition. So like a lot of these people will start running in lockdown and will increase their mileage because they have nothing else to do and will increase the mileage so much but not pay attention to their diet and nothing will change with their diet. So you end up with these huge calorie deficits, which is when people start picking up niggles, injuries, um, all of those, which is what we're trying to avoid. So first thing would be calorie deficit, and then we would start talking about fueling around sessions to try and get the most out of your running, so like performance-wise and recovery-wise. Okay, and um, with calorie deficit, you keep saying a huge calorie deficit. What in the in the industry is considered a huge calorie deficit? I'd say anything over 300 calories a day because that's going to really? add up over time. Yeah. Okay. I used to aim for like 400, 450 a day myself. Yeah. Not thinking that that was that. Because if you think about how much that ends up being over a week, it's huge. Yeah. I think I think that was my aim probably was to do it quick. Yeah. Get rid of that weight quick. And I mean, that's not sustainable. Because as soon as you start eating properly again, your body's going to be like, oh, you've just starved me for however long now i need to store everything that you're putting inside me in case you starve me again so those kind of diets never end up sticking because as soon as you start to eat normally again because it's not sustainable to live in a calorie deficit that big your body stores everything you put in it so if you're 
cutting out so if you're reducing your calories just slightly less so you're in a less less of a calorie deficit and it takes a little bit longer for you to lose the weight it's going to be more sustainable because then you can get back to an energy balance and your body's not going to panic and be like i'm going to go into starvation mode again and when when it comes to injury injuries injuries uh, and that sort of thing do you ever take a look at supplements and benefits of supplements as well with someone yeah absolutely um a lot of the time i'll get people to do a blood test first though i would never prescribe vitamins and minerals without getting blood tests um to kind of see what their current um vitamins and minerals are but we always go for a food first approach so it's only really if there's something that they can't get from their food that we would supplement that um in terms of your everyday vitamins and minerals um and then a lot of the more high performing athletes will look at the the kind of supplements that are more performance enhancing nothing illegal (laughs) (laughs) but things like beta alanine um is that the one that makes you go a bit itchy yeah okay get the tingles yeah (laughs) and then there's there's obviously people know about creatine yeah proteins another thing that you can supplement um interestingly i have i don't know if this is just my own social media or anything but i've seen a lot more focus on electrolytes Mm -hmm. um and i don't remember i'm not going to go into the specifics of it when we were living in that house i got really ill and from one way or another, I was losing a lot of fluid. And yeah. so I ended up one day, I just went out because I really fancied and I was craving a LucasAid sport. Yeah. This is not a plug. We're not sponsored by <laughs> LucasAid for anyone wondering. <laughs> but I'm aware that it's an isotonic drink. It's got some electrolytes in it. Same for things like Powerade, everything like that. I literally had a few bottles and I cannot tell you how much better it made me feel. But then also every time I'm ill, I now rely on that because yeah. I'm aware you do tend to lose a lot of electrolytes when yeah. you're ill. So I've always turned towards that. However, electrolyte powders and things like that have massively increased on my sort of social media feed and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Often, electrolytes is mainly sodium and other things like that. Is it all a bit hypey? Um, yes, you'd probably get the same effect from just putting some salt in your water. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into the electrolyte tablets and things like that now. Um, my job actually before I moved to London is I was working for a company which helped formulate the electrolyte tablets for a lot of these big brands. Okay, so, so, so what goes into an electrolyte tablet? A lot of just powders that make it stick into a tablet, basically. <laughs> um, some sodium, a lot of people will like to throw in some random vitamins and minerals because then you can sell it for a higher price if you're claiming all of these things, but... Um, most of it is just salt and flavorings. Do you take any yourself? I do. Okay. I do think they do help hydrate you. Um, I don't love the taste of water. So anything that I can put in my water to make it not taste like water, I will. Um, I don't think they're going to do any harm. They will, they do have some benefit, but, um, they're quite expensive for something that you could get from just putting salt in your water. I d- so there have been times where I've literally just got salt, crushed some salt into my drink and then added some squash. Because yeah. by the way, anyone listening, they just heard Sam go, oh, I don't like water. If you're pretending that water is a better flavor than squash or anything like that, then grow up. Like, we're not the sponsored child. by a squash company yeah. because I go through extortionate amounts it's of squash. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, it's become really bad. And I'm, I've, I've tried to be an adult about it, if you can be an adult about it, and get double strength. But... 
I seem to be going through it at the same no, rate. They have quadruple strength, Matt. I, the thing is, I also, I, I, I don't know if anyone else listening to this has ever done this with squash. I know what color I like my squash. Yeah. So the problem with quadruple strength is I think it would look too weak for me. I think that's I the problem. I go through the same amount of quadruple <laughs> there we strength go. as double there we squash. Go. <laughs> but there's your alternative. If you really don't want to get electric, electrolyte powders, then you can try the uh, crushed salt, salt and squash. And squash. Yeah. Give that a go. Yeah. Cool. That. That came from a nutritionist, by the way. Um, cool. Well, I've got some uh, listener questions. Um, so for people that are new to this, uh, there's opportunities for the listeners to get involved. I love hearing from you guys. So head over to the Instagram page, which is mindsets underscore podcast. Uh, and in days leading up to doing a podcast, I will give a bit of information about the person coming on. And then if you want to ask any questions that you can have specifically answered to your tailored question, then that would happen now. So I'm going to start off. Um, I'm going to start off actually with an anonymous question. Uh, so this person messaged in and they said, and this is quite well linked actually, how do you plan nutrition for sport like a run, like around doing some form of activity? Yeah. Well, I will always make sure that before I do anything, I have eaten something and that will consists of something carbohydrate-y and really easy to digest so for example before I run I would have either a banana if I don't have loads of time or a bagel or some oats um, something along those lines so something carbohydrate focused um, during it depends how long it is not if it's below an hour I wouldn't take anything just hydration but even then probably nothing if it's over an hour I would look to get some carbs in during so like a gel it's the easiest thing to take or a drink like a LucasAid again not sponsored <laughs> but, um, <laughs> maybe we should be yeah. um, and then after would try and get that recovery started so a mix of carbohydrates and protein so ideally looking for 60 grams of carbs and 20 grams of protein, but that is a lot to get in if you're not having a main meal. So if you're just having a snack, it would be something like a smoothie or a yogurt bowl with some fruit. It's just excellent to hear the banana bagel TikToks yeah. that I've seen are actually, yeah. there's it, something to that. It's actually true. Okay. Cool. It works. Cinnamon and raisin bagels, by the way, are amazing. Next. So good. Okay. So that's, uh, that's the answer for the anonymous person. Um, then... The next one uh, is from a guy called Jason. Jason wants to know, is oat milk bad for you? Um, again, context. I wouldn't say it's bad for you, but there have been a lot of studies showing that it spikes your blood glucose quite intensely. Um, so it depends what you're going for. I am very much a cow milk drinker, um, especially with my history now of underfueling, I have quite low bone density. So my next goal is building up my bone density, which I need a lot of calcium from, which you don't get as much from the alternative milks. So I wouldn't say it's bad for you. It's personal preference, but it doesn't give you all the benefits that you would get from regular milk, cow's milk. Cool. And obviously for vegans, they, they would rather have oat milk than, exactly. than cow milk. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, cool. If there's uh if there's one piece of advice you oh hold on a minute I've butchered this sorry so Catherine has messaged in with this one uh, if there's one piece of advice you hear that you hate or find wrong what is it that faster training is super beneficial like that is thrown around all over being like you must train faster because you're going to start burning your fat more efficiently and 
there is so much more to that. There are some training sessions where you can do fasted, but I see so many people going out there for these like really long runs or really intense runs or any training session that's really long or intense, not eating anything and you're just running your body on empty and just negatively, you're not getting any benefits from that session. You're actually getting more negative effects from that. So that's my number one. Catherine, have a banana and a bagel. <laughs> Jeez. Just okay. in the morning. Thank you very much for that. Now, what I like to have with everybody that comes on, uh, this is a consistent question now, um, is if I was to take you and lock you in a room with your younger self. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it doesn't have to be the same age you. It could be three different versions of you, whatever. Yeah. But if you had to give that person three pieces of advice, they don't have to be around nutrition. They can be around anything. Mm-hmm. What would they be? Um, number one would probably be you can't rewind the clock. So every decision that you make, just know that that's going to be your decision and there are going to be consequences for that. So just really think through what what you're doing. Um, number two would probably be you don't always have to be going at 100%. It's okay to just take a step back sometimes. Um, and number three would probably be that you are enough you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else okay that's some really good advice thank you for that um and i I also have a different segment to this which gives a bit of continuity between episodes i'm not going to pretend that i came up with this idea (laughs) it's something that i've borrowed from other people um but i like my guests to ask each other questions without having a clue who's coming on so i had jason on in the last episode and um for context because it hasn't come out yet by the time we're recording this um, we had a really good chat. Jason opened up massively on some really big things that have happened in his life. He's very open about them now. He's a big advocate for talking about things. Um, and he did that and it got relatively emotional, uh, but in a really good way. So he wants to know from other people's opinions, something that's slightly subjective, um, is happiness as a topic because people consider things in different ways. But Jason's question for you is, what is happiness to you? I think happiness is being able to appreciate doing things I love and being around the people that I love. Okay, is there anything in, in particular in your head that you thought of when I asked you that question? I think just being away from my family is huge for me. I'm very close to them and I think being able to be around them and appreciate just being able to even like even taking running away from it being out and going for like walks with them or just being able to spend time with them and us all being lucky enough to be able-bodied and to do these things together um is just something I really appreciate and that's when I'm at my happiest is surrounded by people I love doing things outdoors and active and the things that i love cool cool excellent answer um so before we kind of round up a little bit what uh, what i want to know is obviously now that you've gone self-employed you're focusing on nutrition and giving other people the support that you wish you had um as well as with a bit of running coaching as well um what do you think that you know well what was the main driver for you to want to do that other than obviously you felt like you didn't have that Yeah, I 
having been through everything that I have, I want to make it positive by trying to prevent other people going through that being like, I've been through this experience. I know what was lacking and where now I can use this experience to help other people. So I think there's just been so much negative that's happened that I want to turn it into a positive and really help, especially younger girls. That's kind of my main focus. You just, um, don't really know the longer term effects and the consequences of their actions now and just see if I can help other people not go through what I did. Really, really cool. As well as that, I think I, I did an episode uh, a few weeks back with a girl called Vicky who has started training some some girls with the, the idea and understanding of the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. um, which I'm actually aware that your your diet can massively affect as well yeah and so it's it's definitely something that's important in that sense because that can also have a long-term effect yeah. you know if you're not fueling right you're overtraining um then it can long-term impact you know if you want to have kids and that yeah. sort of thing so i think it is really important and i mean you might be a little bit biased in this but i also feel that not enough people understand the way to fuel their body for yeah. what they're doing and it's we've spoken before as well on this podcast about how people don't necessarily train right for their sport mm-hmm. really let alone eat right for yeah. it and the absolute superpower that food can be as well as a right training plan for performance um and that doesn't mean that food needs to be seen as fuel because yeah. I've I've definitely gone too far with it sometimes and it, you know everything does just become the same flavors the same time of day and it's boring yeah and it's not healthy to have it like that but being able to understand you know what you should allow yourself to do and what you know you need to control in order to keep improving yeah is is fundamental and I think that's what's really nice um, about having people that do your job um, <laughs> around because it, it opens people up to reach a new level of performance yeah. um, whether you are aiming to break a, a world record or get to a new ranking in the UK for marathon running or uh, or if you're actually just someone that wants to kind of understand why you're not improving. Um, it's accessible to all levels. Yeah. So where can people find your help? So my Instagram handle is Samantha Marie, M-A-R-E underscore. Um, and that's probably the best way to reach me. Otherwise, drop me an email at samantha.marie at outlook.com but those are probably the two best ways to find me cool i will do my best to make sure i tag the right places as well and any a uh information in the base of the podcast or actually on some instagram posts i'll obviously tag you um so feel free to reach out to sam through that likewise if you're wondering where to find things i've mentioned it a little bit before with the listener questions but you can find the mindsets podcast on all streaming platforms um including youtube so if you're listening to this wondering how do i know if i'm talking to the right sam (laughs) you can go and watch it and make sure that you're messaging the right sam and you're not about to get scammed um however you will find all of those places using the same at so you at mindsets underscore podcast uh you can also try your luck with just mindsets the more we grow the easier that's going to (laughs) be so please drop a follow like and share to help that happen uh, and join along with the journey um we're working on something really cool at the moment so please follow along um and i look forward to seeing all of you guys in the next episode